welcome to His Word Heals. You can also visit us online at www.hiswordheals.com for all of our past programs, the Healing Scripture CD, books, and more. Having written up almost all of this message two weeks ago, this past Shabbat, Yahweh provided the ending for this message. It sat for two weeks while I was busy working, and I believe... I was unable to finish it until Yahweh provided the ending. So please listen all the way to the end for the entire message. If you're listening on Hebrew Nation Radio, this will be a two-part message. You can go to our website, www.hiswordheals.com, to listen to the entire message. Today we're going to talk about Deuteronomy, the Law of Moses, and Case Law. And as it turns out, this all also fits right in with the New Covenant, or Renewed Covenant. Are parts of Deuteronomy, Moses' retelling of quote-unquote case law from during the Israelites' sojourn in the wilderness? Is that why some of what Yeshua said in the New Testament seems to contradict the Torah of Moses, or at the very least is used by some, both Jews and Gentiles, to say that Yeshua changed or did away with the Torah or the law as given by Moses? One example is of Yeshua being questioned by the Pharisees and then seemingly not totally agreeing with what Moses said in Deuteronomy 24 regarding marriage and divorce. In Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, Moses said, If a man marries a woman and then later finds some indecency or nakedness of a thing in her, he can write her a certificate of divorce. However, let's also look at what Yeshua said in Matthew 5 and 19 regarding divorce. First, Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Yeshua says, Furthermore, it has been said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Okay, now let's look at Matthew chapter 19 verses 3 through 9. The Pharisees also came to him, Yeshua, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what Elohim has joined together, let not man separate. Then they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He, Yeshua, said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. From the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery." Then Paul also weighed in on this subject in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10-16, through 16, where he says, Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, or Adonai, a wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife, but to the rest I, not Adonai, say... 
If any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean. But now they are set apart. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but Elohim has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? What's going on? Yeshua says that if you divorce for any reason other than sexual immorality, you cause or you do commit adultery. But Moses said it was lawful to divorce your wife for any uncleanness, not necessarily just sexual immorality. So how do we reconcile these two without saying that Moses was wrong and Yeshua corrected him, or without saying that Yeshua is doing away with the law of Moses? I think there's a simple answer. The passage in Deuteronomy where Moses allows divorce is likely not necessarily a quote-unquote law allowing divorce, but is a judgment by Moses in his authority given to him by Yahweh to lead and judge the Israelites in the wilderness. No doubt disputes between husbands and wives came up before Moses' court, and the allowance for divorce became a ruling to solve these disputes and keep the peace, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, which we just read. It was also likely a merciful ruling for women as well, so they would not have to stay married to a husband who hated them. Then, as with most things, this ruling likely became abused, and by Yeshua's time, continuing on into today, men and women divorce each other for any number of reasons, including just because they found someone else that they lusted after more. Again, what did Yeshua say? From the beginning it was not so. It was because of the hardness of their hearts that Moses allowed it. Moses allowing divorce was a ruling by Moses, case law if you will, a ruling of mercy to keep the peace, which does not change or contradict the law of Yahweh, but instead puts more weight on mercy and peace than the law of marriage in its original intent. Yeshua upheld this ruling by Moses or allowed it, because, of course, this ruling by Moses came from Yahweh through Moses and the authority given by Yahweh to Moses. But Yeshua clarified this was not Yahweh's original intent. And even though it's allowed, it should be taken very seriously because there are consequences to divorce, both spiritual and physical. This program is not about divorce, so we aren't going into all the what-ifs or the topic of abuse here. This is just one hint to the point of today's program. Are portions of Deuteronomy actually what is known today as case law? What is case law? Well, let's read a definition for case law. From LegalDictionary.net The term case law refers to law that comes from decisions made by judges in previous cases. Case law, also known as common law and case precedent, provides a common contextual background for certain legal concepts and how they are applied in certain types of case. How much sway case law holds may vary by jurisdiction and by the exact circumstances of the current case. To explore this concept, consider the following case law definition. 
the law as established in previous court rulings, like common law, which springs from judicial decisions and tradition. Statutory laws are those created by legislative bodies, such as Congress, or Yahweh, at both the federal and state levels, at the heavenly level. While this type of law strives to shape our society, which is exactly what the Ten Commandments and Yahweh's law do, shape his kingdom, providing rules and guidelines, it would be impossible for any legislative body to anticipate all situations and legal issues. The court system is then tasked with interpreting the law when it is unclear how it applies to any given situation, often rendering judgments based on the intent of lawmakers and the circumstances of the case at hand. Such decisions become a guide for future similar cases. In order to preserve a uniform enforcement of the laws, the legal system adheres to the doctrine of stare decisis, which is Latin for stand by decided matters. This means that a court will be bound to rule in accordance with a previously made ruling on the same type of case. So Yeshua was standing by the law of Moses with regard to divorce the case law of Moses with regard to divorce. However, he was also citing Yahweh's original intent and citing consequences that come from divorce, even if Moses' case law did allow it. Back to LegalDictionary.net. Precedent or case law is binding on courts of the same level or lower and applies only if there is no legislative statute created or higher court ruling that overrules it. Yeshua, of course, is a higher court ruling. He is Yahweh's right hand. Moses did rule in the authority of Yahweh, and his case law is still upheld by Yeshua. You can divorce. However, Yeshua stipulates that if you divorce for any reason other than sexual immorality, you are committing adultery or causing to commit adultery. His ruling is a higher court ruling. Now, with the example that we just looked at of divorce, let's look at some other examples in Deuteronomy that might suggest that some of the quote-unquote laws or laws of Moses in Deuteronomy are actually case law or Moses' legal opinion on how to apply the actual law of Yahweh. Let's start at the beginning of Deuteronomy and see what Moses is actually doing here. Deuteronomy chapters 1 through 3 are a history of of the Israelites' sojourn in the wilderness. Then chapter 4 is a prelude or introduction to Yahweh's law as given through Moses at Mount Sinai. Chapter 5 is the law given at Sinai, the Ten Commandments or words, and then a recording of the people's reaction to hearing the voice of Yahweh for themselves. They wanted only to hear from Yahweh through Moses when Yahweh originally sought to speak to them himself personally. Chapter 6 is the greatest commandment to love Yahweh with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Chapter 7 explains that the nation of Israel, the tribes of Israel, the children of Israel are a chosen people and will be blessed for obedience and they are above all not to have any other Elohim and are to destroy the gods of the land which Yahweh is giving to them. They are to rid the land of the pagans. Chapter 8 again tells us Israel is to obey all the commands he gave them and to remember the 40 years they were tested and tried in the wilderness to see if they would keep his commandments or not. 
Moses also reminds them of how Yahweh cared for them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Chapter 8 also prophesies or warns that when they go into the land, they would be blessed and rich, and then would forget him. And when they forgot Yahweh, they would perish from the land. Do you notice anything? We are at the end of chapter 8, and so far the only laws we are given or reminded of are the Ten Commandments. And then a summary of the greatest intent of these Ten Commandments is to love Yahweh with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So let's keep going. What's next? Chapter 9 reviews Israel's rebellion at Mount Sinai with the golden calf, worshiping an idol, or setting up an image to Yahweh, breaking the first three of the Ten Commandments that they had been given so far. Chapter 10 reminds us we were given a second chance and second set of tablets. Chapter 10 verses 12 through 22 gives us a synopsis of the purpose or goal of the Ten Commandments. Let's read those. And now, Israel, what does Yahweh your Elohim require of you? But to fear Yahweh your Elohim, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of Yahweh and his statutes which I commanded you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to Yahweh your Elohim, also the earth with all that is in it. Yahweh delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart, and be stiff-necked no longer. For Yahweh your Elohim is Elohim of Elohims, and Master of Masters, the great Elohim, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear Yahweh your Elohim. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast, and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, and he is your Elohim, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Then we go on into chapter 11, which admonishes us again that obedience to the Ten Commandments are rewarded, and love is the goal. Love of Yahweh and love of each other. These commandments define what love is according to Yahweh, what love looks like. Chapter 12 explains what worship of Yahweh should look like in the land promised and where this worship should officially take place in the land. Chapter 13 is instruction on what should happen to those that try to lead the people of Israel to worship other gods. Chapter 14 reiterates what Yahweh says is clean and unclean for Yahweh's people and how and what to give to Yahweh in way of tithing. Chapter 15 of Deuteronomy outlines the economy of Israel and how to love our neighbors by caring for the poor and canceling debts and setting captives free. Chapter 16 is a review of the three pilgrimage feasts when all males are to appear before Yahweh. Then in chapter 16, starting in verse 18, I think we get a glimpse of what the next several chapters of Deuteronomy are about. Let's read chapter 16, starting in verse 18. 
You shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which Yahweh your Elohim gives you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. You shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land which Yahweh your Elohim is giving you. This, of course, is rules for the judges. Moses was the ultimate, or Supreme Court judge, the chief justice, in the wilderness. Was he not? He appointed lower court judges under him, and when their cases were too hard for them, the case would move up the ladder until it eventually got to Moses, if no one below him could give a just ruling. Then we go into chapter 17 which is the judgment that is to be rendered on those committing an abomination, setting up how the court is supposed to allow the testimony of witnesses in order to prosecute anyone transgressing his covenant and serving other gods. They were to be put to death, but only on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So here we see the legal court system being outlined in chapter 17 along with the laws governing kings of Israel, starting in chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. Then chapter 18 starts out with the duties and the payment of the priests and Levites, and then again reiterates that pagan and wicked practices, i.e. the abominations of the wicked nations being cast out of the land before them, need to be avoided. Then starting in verse 15, we have our second clue about what is coming next in Deuteronomy. Our first clue was the rules for setting up the judges, kings, and priests in chapters 17 and the first part of 18. Now, 18 verse 15 says, Yahweh your Elohim will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear, according to all you desired of Yahweh your Elohim in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of Yahweh my Elohim, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And Yahweh said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Of course we know this is prophesying about Yeshua Messiah being a prophet like unto Moses, and that we are to listen to all that he commands us, because he will only be speaking words from Yahweh, speaking in the name and authority of Yahweh. Chapter 19 is three cities of refuge. Again, this is setting up the legal system by which they were to operate once in the land. The end of chapter 19 is also civil law for the judges to abide by when judging. Again, stating two or three witnesses and no bribes and no preferential treatment. Now that Deuteronomy is done reiterating the Ten Commandments and how and why to obey them, along with consequences for disobedience and paganism, as well as the establishment of the judicial system, chapter 20, I believe, starts into a record of Moses' case law recorded for judgments made in the authority of Yahweh during their sojourn in the wilderness. And again, it's interesting 
that this case law begins after they are told another prophet like unto Moses would be coming speaking in the name and authority of Yahweh and to listen to all that he, Yeshua, says. Perhaps because he would clarify and even make stronger or more clear these judgments or case laws as recorded in the next several chapters of Deuteronomy. Chapter 20 sounds like principles or rulings, case law governing warfare. Notice all of these judgments or case law seem to reflect the merciful and kind nature of Yahweh toward his people and his abhorrence toward those that commit abominations and wickedness, especially in relation to pagan worship and false gods. Then chapter 21 is a ruling on the process of what should be done in the case of an unsolved murder, so that blood guilt for not serving justice would not rest on the nation of Israel. Then we have other rulings regarding female captives, rebellious sons, lost possessions, cross-dressing, how to judge and deal with rape and or sexual immorality, exclusion from the camp, cleanliness of the camp, rules regarding slaves and their treatment, the ruling allowing divorce as we talked about earlier, kidnapping, taking collateral for loans, treatment of hired servants, duties of a brother to a dead brother's wife, etc. Notice none of these actually seem to be a thus saith Yahweh separate law, but more like judgments for questions that came up in how to handle day-to-day situations within the guidelines and principles of the laws already previously given, but that weren't specifically addressed in those laws. This, of course, is just a theory or understanding that we've come to for the reasons previously explained. But the clincher for us that this is quite possibly the case that these are all case laws starting in chapter 20 is actually the verse I was reading and considering when this explanation first came to mind. And that is verses 11 and 12 in chapter 25 of Deuteronomy. If two men fight together, and the wife of one draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of the one attacking him, and puts out her hand and seizes him by the genitals, then you shall cut off her hand. Your eye shall not pity her. Now, does that really sound like a law specifically set up in advance by Yahweh to address a sin that was likely to occur because of human nature? Or... Does that sound like a judgment or conclusion by a judge? The judge Moses certainly sounds more like case law, a conclusion that he reached for a specific case. Then future cases, if any were to come up, similar to this, could look back on his judgment for this case and say, yep, can't fight dirty like that. So does it mean only the wife of one of the men cannot grab the genitals of another man who is fighting with another man? Perhaps this judgment would be looked on in a similar case, such as the daughter of a man grabs the genitals of the other man when they're fighting. Wouldn't this apply to that case as well? Or the son of a man grabs the man's genitals. It seems to me if it were an actual law rather than case law, it would be more generic, such as if you're fighting with someone, no one else can come and grab the genitals of the man you're fighting with. But instead, it is very specific. A wife may not grab the genitals of a man that her husband is fighting with. Does that preclude a woman who is being raped from grabbing the genitals or or smashing the genitals of the man who is raping her? I think not. 
This was a specific case. All future cases would be based upon Yahweh's actual law, and then this ruling would be weighed to see if it had any application at all to the current case at hand. It seems to me like this was a ruling from Moses rather than a specific law. So then all of the other ones starting in Deuteronomy 20 are likely the same thing as well because they are all based upon the Torah, the Ten Commandments, and are likely rulings rendered by Moses in the wilderness. Case law that could be looked upon by future generations to understand better the heart of Yahweh. Then we move on in chapter 25, the end of which we see the blotting out of the name of Amalek. And then chapter 26 reverts back to instructing the people on how to handle first fruits and offerings once they get into the land and how to love your neighbor as yourself by sharing with and providing for the poor. Chapter 27 reiterates they need to obey all of the commandments they have been commanded. Also note that during the retelling of case law judgments, Moses didn't call them commandments, but he does call the Ten Commandments commandments. The others are judgments made by Moses based upon those commandments. That is why Yeshua, as the ultimate judge, is to be listened to even and especially when he might explain the reasons behind Moses' judgments, such as the judgment or case law of divorce being because of the Israelites' hard hearts, but that there was still the guilt of adultery on the initiator of the divorce unless the divorce was based upon sexual immorality. Moses didn't say this, but Yeshua added this clarification and understanding to the judgment or case law of Moses regarding divorce. Was Yeshua then guilty of adding to or taking away from the commandments of Yahweh as given to Moses? Deuteronomy 12.32 says, Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it or take away from it. Is everything in the book of Deuteronomy a commandment that Yahweh commanded them through Moses? Then was divorce a command of Moses? And Yeshua added to it, saying that if you divorce your wife for any reason other than sexual immorality, you are guilty of adultery? If everything in the book of Deuteronomy is a commandment, then the answer would be yes. Yeshua added to the commandments. But Yeshua was not adding to or taking away any of the commands. He was simply clarifying and rendering his verdict or his opinion regarding Moses' judgment or case law with regard to divorce. His was a higher court ruling. Again, I think chapters 20 through 25 are a recording of Moses' case law or judgments in the wilderness with regard to specific cases that came up before him and how to render just judgment according to the actual commandments of Yahweh. Deuteronomy 12.32 is not talking about adding to or taking away from Moses' case law, adding more understanding to his case law, his judgments that were based upon the commandments. This better explains the many times Yeshua was accused of breaking the law, whereas he was actually better interpreting the law instead. He was not breaking or doing away with any of the laws of Yahweh. He was rendering a higher court ruling. Yeshua is the ultimate judge, and he came to give us a living example of how to walk out Yahweh's commands, how to love Yahweh, and how to love each other. 
how to understand the intent of Yahweh's laws, and how to understand Yahweh's character and mercy. Then, when he left to go and sit at the right hand of the Father, Yeshua promised to send the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth and to remind us of all that he said. If our ultimate goal is to love Yahweh and to love each other within the guidelines and boundaries of his commandments, his ten words, the laws given at Mount Sinai, then his spirit will help us to apply his commandments, judgments, case law, etc. properly to each situation. After all, we are told we also, through his spirit, should be able to judge situations according to his word and his commands. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints or set apart ones will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the assembly or the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? Now therefore... It is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Then also consider 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 27 through 32. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of Adonai in an unworthy matter will be guilty of the body and blood of Adonai. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning Adonai's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep or die. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by Adonai, that we may not be condemned with the world. So then we are also called to judge ourselves especially, and to be wise and judge between the brethren. If we have disagreements, we should come before brethren, not before the law. We are given the authority to judge. And how do we judge? We judge according to his commandments. And we can also look at Moses' judgments in the wilderness for guidance. And then, of course, above all, look at what Yeshua said about these judgments and about these laws. And then pray and listen to his spirit, which he promised to send us to remind us of all that he said and to give us discernment and to allow us to be able to judge according to Yahweh's will, Yahweh's heart, and Yahweh's mercy which we can see examples of throughout all of Scripture from the very beginning to the very end. Absolutely, Moses' case law has authority from Yahweh and sets precedence. But as we can see, Yeshua also added clarity to some of Moses' judgments. And indeed, most of the time, judgments by Yeshua 
were much more stringent and much more strict in his application of Yahweh's laws or commandments, especially with regard to how we treat one another. We see this example in divorce, and we also see an example in adultery, where Yeshua says, If you even look upon a woman with lust, you have committed adultery with her. Yeshua did not do away with the commandments or the law. He did not do away with the law of Moses or the judgments of Moses. Yeshua came to clarify, uphold, and even strengthen these laws. And I'm going to end today's message with an observation or revelation, if you will, that we discovered from a study with some friends of ours this past Shabbat. We were at their house, and the father of the house, who was reading the Torah, pointed out that he believed the book of Deuteronomy was an outline of the new or renewed covenant that would be renewed by Yeshua Messiah. We've already pointed out that Deuteronomy talks about a prophet that would come like Moses, who we should listen to all that he said and who would speak only the words of Yahweh. Then chapter 29 in Deuteronomy in my New King James Version is labeled or titled the covenant renewed in Moab. Interesting, because this man pointed out that 29 verse 1 says, These are the words of the covenant which Yahweh commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he made with them at Horeb. So we know the covenant at Horeb was the Ten Commandments, the wedding vows. And now we are told that the book of Deuteronomy contains the words of the covenant which Yahweh commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb or Sinai. Verse 9 of chapter 29 says, Therefore keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. All of you stand today before Yahweh your Elohim, your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, also the stranger who is in the camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into the covenant with Yahweh your Elohim and into his oath, which Yahweh your Elohim makes with you today, that he may establish you today as a people for himself, and that he may be Elohim to you, just as he has spoken to you, and just as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before Yahweh our Elohim, as well as with him who is not here with us today. Again, alluding to the new or renewed covenant in Yeshua Messiah, the prophet who would come as Moses, to whom we should listen to because he says only the words of Yahweh. Skipping down to verse 18, so that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from Yahweh your Elohim to go and serve the gods of these nations, and that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood, and so that it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse, that he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, even though I follow the dictates of my heart, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. Yahweh would not spare him, 
For then the anger of Yahweh and his jealousy would burn against that man, and every curse that is written in this book would settle on him, and Yahweh would blot out his name from under heaven, and Yahweh would separate him from all the tribes of Israel for adversity according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law, so that... The coming generation of your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land would say when they see the plagues of that land and sicknesses which Yahweh has laid on it, the whole land is brimstone and salt and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which Yahweh overthrew in his anger and his wrath. All the nations would say, Why has Yahweh done so to this land? What does the heat of this great anger mean? Then people would say, Because they have forsaken the covenant of Yahweh Elohim of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. That would be the laws at Horeb. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods that they did not know and that he had not given to them. Then the anger of Yahweh was aroused against this land to bring on it every curse that is written in this book. And what are the curses? Back up to chapter 28 and you see blessings for obedience and curses on disobedience. Yeshua took our curses. Our deserved curses is what he took. All of the curses in the book of Deuteronomy that come on us because we disobeyed, Yeshua has taken those curses upon himself. That is the renewed covenant or the new covenant. Then in chapter 30, we see the blessing of returning to Yahweh. Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where Yahweh your Elohim drives you, and you return to Yahweh your Elohim and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that Yahweh your Elohim will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where Yahweh your Elohim has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, which I would say even especially the western United States, from there Yahweh your Elohim will gather you and from there he will bring you. We are currently in the United States basically on the opposite side of the world from Israel. Then Yahweh your Elohim will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it. The land which our fathers possessed is Israel. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And Yahweh your Elohim will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. So Yahweh circumcises our hearts. Here we see the new covenant, the renewed covenant. Yeshua renewed the covenant. He died for our sins. He took all of the curses of the book of Deuteronomy upon himself and he will circumcise. He has circumcised our hearts and the hearts of our descendants. Here we see the new covenant or renewed covenant by Yeshua Messiah in the book of Deuteronomy. And the laws or the rules for the new covenant are not new at all. They are the same Ten Commandments given at Horeb, but we are renewed to be able to do them through his spirit, through a circumcised heart, which he circumcises for us, and without the curses that came upon us because we disobeyed the first covenant. 
Yeshua took those curses upon himself. Verse 10 of chapter 30 says, If you obey the voice of Yahweh your Elohim to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, and if you turn to Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul, Yahweh will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. Verse 11 goes on to give us a choice of life or death. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Romans chapter 10 verses 6 through 8 quotes Deuteronomy chapter 30, 11, 12, and 13. Verse 14, But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love Yahweh your Elohim, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And Yahweh your Elohim will bless you in the land which you go to possess, which he is going to regather us to from the farthest parts of the earth. Verse 17, But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, all throughout the book of Deuteronomy, the worshiping and serving of other gods is a grave violation of the laws of Yahweh. I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love Yahweh your Elohim, that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which Yahweh swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. There you have it. The new or renewed covenant, Yeshua takes our curses and blesses us. He circumcises our hearts. He clarifies the rulings of Moses, and he upholds all the laws of Yahweh. We see all of this in the book of Deuteronomy. Blessings and shalom to all of you and everyone in your home.